Welcome to episode 15 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, we come to you today from a back room in a Rebound Cycle, uh, the quietest place that I could find today. Uh, so thank you again to uh, Tyson and the crew, and uh, make sure to check them out when you're in Canmore or online at uh, reboundcycle.com. Uh, so today's guest is uh, Canmore local uh, and rider, Megan Dunn. How I met Megan, um, well, if, if I think back now, I don't remember exactly what month it was, but she was one of the first people to pick up uh, one of our cycling caps. I uh, didn't know anything about her, just uh, met, met down at a coffee shop and uh, she got one of the caps, which we still have some, by the way. Uh, when researching a lot of the local adventures and, and trying to get more familiar with what's going on around the Bow Valley and in areas, whether it be hiking or biking, uh, my wife Sarah and I would often stumble across uh, her blog, uh, which is uh, www.evilmoose.me. And uh, she, I can't remember how it all came together, but she ended up presenting at the summit uh, last October in Canmore, which, which I'll preface with the fact that no one really wanted. Um, and nothing against you, <laughs> Megan. But uh, as far as the subject matter, I think what was pitched was a talk on uh, bikepacking with the kids and getting out with the family. And I, I put it out to the group on the event page saying who 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 would be interested in this sort of thing and uh no one put up their hand and, and further I, I think people suggested it maybe it was the wrong crowd but i i believed in the idea and uh, when it came to the actual talk i i think it's safe to say that it, it was one of the more well-received talks it was interesting to expand beyond our, our collective bubbles and you know learn uh how gear changes um, how moods change and uh, different logistics uh, when you when you head out into the the back country uh, with your kids um, and then uh, beyond that um, anyone that's gotten to know her uh, you will most likely be most likely be envious of her adventures on instagram i think she's got one of the better accounts out there uh, takes better pictures than than me. Uh, I have no problem admitting, and uh, and she has a tremendous accent. So let's start there, Megan. Australia to Canmore. How does that happen? Um, it, it's when you get all excited about the idea of going and like spending just a season skiing in Canada, thinking, oh yeah, that'll be great. Just a winter, just one winter, that'll be enough. So when was this that you, you moved to, or you came over to Canada? That, that'd that be winter 07, 08. Okay. And and do you have husband and kids at this point? Um, no, that was like, I came over with my boyfriend and it was a case of come over for the winter and then summer came around and we're like, wow, summer in the Rockies is fantastic. And <laughs> it's actually better than winter even. And there was a lot of biking, climbing, hiking to do. Winter rolled around again. We're like, well, winter's obviously great as well. There's a lot of ski touring to get done. And then before we knew it, it was, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't imagine going to live anywhere else because where else can you get all of this right from your doorstep? Yeah. Where in, where in uh, Australia were you living? Um, I came over from Melbourne. Uh, okay. So sort of living in the city, you spend all of your weekends driving for hours to go and do the kind of fun things that you can do on a lunch break in Canmore. Yeah. So uh, so coming, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Europeans that come over for bikepacking events and they're always afraid of, you know, bears is, is top of mind for people. So coming from Australia where where everything can kill you, <laughs> was that top of mind when you when you moved over? I mean, I was certainly conscious of the need to deal with bears. The thing is, I mean, sure, snakes and spiders will kill you, but they won't eat you. <laughs> They're less likely to chase you down as well. So I definitely would prefer the Australian wildlife to the Canadian version, but it's, yeah, not as alarming. I'm accustomed to there being things out there that will, yeah, happily take your life when you're out adventuring. <laughs> it, it, it's just the way I grew up. Oh, cool. And uh, the the evil moose handle, I, I feel like there's there's a story there. Where does that come from? <laughs> That's actually just one I've been using, like, I think ever since I was maybe 16 or so, back when the internet first started being invented and no one was <laughs> using their real names and everyone was just making up random stuff and I just picked evil moose and it stuck. And people started calling me that and then it's just seemed even more appropriate since I moved to Canada. So I've just kept it. <laughs> 
are, are there are there any moose in Australia? I'm trying to figure out where the moose comes from. It's just an awesome word. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure how I ended up with it. And people just, yeah, it, it ended up being a nickname. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you, you uh, we were just chatting before we started recording, and um, I knew you worked for the city, but I, I didn't know exactly what your your role is. So for those listening, what, what, what's your job with uh, the city of Canmore right now? Um, well, I work in the planning department, so I'm sort of partly involved in the sort of day-to-day permits applications, projects that come in, but I also do a lot of the trail planning work, working with Alberta Parks and that kind of thing, working with the Trails Advisory Group, with the Canmore Trail Alliance on just trail development and management in the Bow Valley in the Canmore area. So for... For someone that's kind of like a fly in the wall, I try to stay out of you know government work and bureaucratic stuff. So I, I think the trails around Canmore are pretty good, and um, you know I'm coming from Ontario. It was the last place I lived, so it's it's pretty phenomenal riding. But how how are how is the Canmore trail scene uh, you know viewed? Uh, you know, like internally, how do you... From do the it? government point of view? Okay, yeah. well, for us, I'd say we're working together with the community on improving the way maintenance is happening on the trails because for a lot of years, there wasn't much in the way of trail maintenance happening. Government bodies didn't have the sort of manpower, the budget to make it happen. There wasn't a strong community drive to do the trail maintenance. There were bits happening here and there, but there wasn't any strong force to make that happen. So that's something we're working, like helping the community work on and hopefully working together to get better trail maintenance happening. And then it's just to have more trail development and then keeping an eye on what's happening with trails on private land, illegal trails, trails in wildlife corridors. It's a tricky place to create new trails, the town of Canmore, just because we do have the wildlife corridors and there's a lot of different land ownership going on. So kind of a segue, but... um so I, I've got. I was telling you, I've got an interview next week with um, the Yellowstone to Yukon uh, conservative uh, group. So talking about you know wildlife corridors and trying to get an understanding of stakeholders. And you were saying that there's a lo- many to contend with in the area. So yeah. when you're building a trail, um, you know bikepacking obviously kind of utilizes a lot of forest corridors. But when you're building like a local trail, like how many different groups are you kind of having to deal with? Um, it really varies. Um, I mean, if you look at something simple like trail maintenance, I was mentioning earlier the example of the Douglas Fir Trail on the Montane, and that's a trail that has the, it, it runs over town of Canmore land, Alberta public lands, Alberta parks land, Silvertip lands, Canmore community housing lands. I think that's it. But that's plenty for a really short stretch of trail. Just looking at some maintenance and minor reroutes, that kind of thing. It's a lot of land ownership going on. Um, and the same thing applies with any sort of, if there was, for instance, talking about an extension to the High Line, which might be a possibility, then that's also multiple land ownership. Some of it would be Alberta parks, some of it would be on the Three Sisters land. So everything requires working together with government and with private landowners. Hmm. So the, for the listeners, the 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 sorry, you said High Rockies extension, right? Highline. Highline. Okay, yeah. I was already thinking ahead. Yeah. Do, would you deal with the High Rockies extension? Because I heard so that, as I understand, there's it's an eighty kilometer piece from Elk Pass to the Goat Creek Trailhead. Yeah. Um, and then they're talking about extending it down to Canmore too, like into town, aren't they? Or, um, is that I something know- you would deal with? There has been talk about, I mean, there's definitely been talk about extending the legacy trail from where it is downtown up to the Nordic Centre at least. And I know there has been talk about connecting the Nordic Centre up to Goat Creek, sort of off the road, but I don't think that's gotten anywhere beyond the talk of that would be fantastic to make happen, but I don't know how it will actually... (laughs) So, what the likelihood of it actually happening anytime soon would be. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine kind of your jurisdiction basically is everything from like the Nordic Center High Line down. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, one of my big questions right now, and I don't know if you know this, is, um, <laughs> you know, the West Side Road going around um, the Spray Lakes. So yeah. it's like what the divide route follows now. Yeah. <laughs> 
I keep hearing a rumor that they're going to close this. And for the guidebook, I need to know this. I'm trying to like pin down. like. Okay, this... in which case I can definitely put you in touch because I've been talking to Alberta Parks about this. That's something that they're working with people about and they want to see happen, I think, for this summer is closing that and then rerouting the Great Divide mountain bike route onto the High Rockies Trail. Yeah. So that's definitely something that's in the works. Okay. It's so, in... And, yeah, the t- then it's the case of where they're going to be rerouting the Tour Divide route this year. Who knows? That would be an interesting reroute if you've got the High Rockies Trail to contend with on day one. <laughs> yeah, I was... I was um... I'm choosing my words carefully. I'm not sure how much I can say, but Adventure Cycling's updating their maps. And uh, they were looking at another section, um, and I was saying, you know, right now I would devote a bit more energy to um, that section right behind it because I said there's a lot of go- stuff going on right now as far as the High Rockies. And then once you get over Elk Pass, you have uh, the expanding or changing boundaries of, like, the, uh, the tech mines and things like that. And so there's a lot of work there, and and so okay, so Alberta Parks is kind of who we gotta chat with more on this, eh? Hey? Yeah, I mean, I, there are definitely folks there who know what's going on with it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, do we, I don't. I can't remember. Were you at the opening um, Friday night event that we had at the summit? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so I'm trying to get Dwayne uh, from Alberta Parks on here. So he was a good speaker. I, I can't remember what he. His particular focus is, is I know it's the Kananaskis area, so I'm going to try to get him on to uh, chat about some of this. (laughs) Yeah, he's got a lot of interesting stories. Yeah. Okay, well, I I kind of deviated, but that's just how (laughs) these things go when you have an interesting uh, topic. Um, Okay, here's an interesting story for you. I can't remember if I told you, but last week um, I was at Elevation Place and uh, just randomly tying my shoe, getting ready to leave. So Elevation Place is the, the gym in Canmore. And uh, overheard these two ladies talking about this bike trip they were going to go on uh, this past weekend. And it was a fat bike trip, and uh, it was around Lake Minnewanka. And I spoke <laughs> up. I'm like, hey, I know what this trip. Uh, you know, I run Bike Pack Canada. This was our first overnighter. And um, they're like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that's not coming. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 my off weekend, I'm busy writing. But uh, so let, let's talk about, let's do a little recap of uh, the overnighter, because I actually haven't really heard that much i've seen some of the pictures i knew what the temperature was like i knew that it snowed a ton (laughs) yeah i mean well we saw the forecast coming up a few days beforehand and like it just kept it was like oh there's going to be some snow on the weekend it'll be a bit cool maybe minus 15 and then as it got closer and closer it was like a snowfall warning like 20 centimeters or more maybe and then down to minus 20 maybe colder and so i was asking at that point there was six of us committed i'm like hey guys do you all want to come still and because they're all awesome bikepacking people, they were like, yeah, sure, why not? It'll be fine. Yeah. So everyone kept, yeah, everyone came, it, despite the terrible, terrible forecast. It yeah. was great. I, I hate to say it, but um, the I can't remember. Was, was it the Saturday morning you left? Um, yeah, Saturday yeah, morning. Okay. It was just bucketing down yeah. snow. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, the whole weekend. So I, yeah. I, I, I get up pretty early, and I remember, I think it started early, but I was... I was sitting with a coffee and it was just like dumping snow. I was working on my book and I'm like, there's no way. There's, there's no way they went. I, I'm going to get a message from, from, from you saying that you guys pulled the plug and or someone died. <laughs> and, um, and the thing was, it was just low. I'm like, I was like, you know what? I've got the year. I'm going to go ahead regardless. And Dean, who was coming down from St. Albert, he was like, yeah, yeah I'm good to go no matter what. Um, Katrina for in town here too was all like, oh, yeah, no, I'm keen. Totally. So there were enough people who were just like, oh, yeah, we're in. That everyone else was sort of just dragged along going, yeah, I guess, sure. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> See, that's a fun thing, right? Like we, we, we say these th- and I, I don't. I, I don't recall what kind of disclaimer you put out before before the ride, but, you know, we, we call these kind of like organized, not organized rides, like kind of just show up, but you, you need to bring all your own stuff and be yeah. self-sufficient. But even in an unorganized, organized ride, like someone still is kind of leading. <laughs> and, you know, I've been in that position and yeah. now you were in that position. So I said to Sarah, I'm like, well... We, we knew you were going to show up for sure. Yeah. And um, I knew Dean was coming down from St. Albert's. So I'm like, now she has to. She, now she's <laughs> most definitely going to go. So I knew two people were going to go. And then uh, on Sunday uh, afternoon or evening, I can't remember when you got back, the pictures started rolling in. And, I yeah, put a smile on my face. You guys just... 
<laughs> I, I know you ran into some tough conditions, but mm-hmm. like kudos and like it, it looks like you just had a really good you know, yeah. bonding, good time. It was actually, it was a really fun ride. And despite the heavy snow, like conditions were actually pretty good. It was like light, fluffy. It's far better than like a heavy snowfall a few days later where it ends up getting really choppy and hard work. It was slow going, but it was actually not bad riding. I've definitely had far worse riding conditions. And so it, it was, yeah, we're definitely a slog in places, but we could, like, we going into Lake Minnewonka from the trailhead, we were sort of mentally prepared. Like, we might be hiking our bikes for eight kilometres the entire way. And so we were pleasantly surprised we could ride nearly all of it. It was actually pretty sweet. Huh. So, okay, so you, uh, your route, you went from Canmore um, up and over the pass to yep. uh, Goat Creek and then the back way into Banff. And mm-hmm. um, was, it, was it rideable all through there? Except for that one hill coming up from the second bridge along Goat Creek. Yeah. Yeah, it was all rideable. It was all good. Oh, okay. (laughs) And actually, we ran into the guy doing the grooming at the top of that hill, and he heckled us and told us there were easier ways to travel and (laughs) refused to give us his snowmobile, so you know. But he'd left a nicely, like, well-groomed trail for us, so from there we were cruising, and it was even blue sky for a little while then, so... And then uh, you dropped down to Banff, and did yeah. you end up going to the Wildflower? Uh, we went to Wildflower not once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> there and back? <laughs> we, we stocked up in Wildflower, waited a bit, and then because Dean had gotten into town a little bit later and said, oh, yeah, I'll just catch up with you guys. And so went to Wildflower, wandered around, checked out a bike store, thought about getting some more hand warmers, and then Dean rocked up in town. We're like, oh, we'll, meet, we'll, we'll go to Wildflower one more time. We need some more <laughs> coffee, some another slice of chocolate zucchini bread so we did that and then we all set off together to for the final like just heading off on the roads to get to Minnewonka yeah so how was the road up to Minnewonka um it was nice snowpacked yeah yeah. Yeah. plowed snowpacked reasonable polite cars it wasn't too busy so it was and pretty beautiful like it was quite socked in with the clouds but it was pretty gorgeous out really (laughs) and then uh so the your route from there uh was following the the north end of uh minnewonka around to it was the lm8 campground yeah Yeah. so how how far of like trail were you on um well lm8 because it's eight kilometers in so yeah it was eight k's from the trailhead basically so it was most and that sort of double track initially and well pounded double track and then some very lovely I love snowshoes so much they are fantastic <laughs> <laughs> so there was some nice snowshoe packed single track for us for the first few kilometers of that and then the snow was just getting gradually deeper and deeper in the last few kilometers it was definitely getting harder to ride on that single track and it's just you're balancing on that tire width yeah and if, if you go off it we're getting stuck and it was hard to ride but it was and also as you it, it's when the snow's high enough that as you're pedaling, you're leaving footprints in the snow beside your tire track. <laughs> huh. So what, what what did uh, camp look like when you when you got into the the, the backcountry setup there? Um, it was it was actually pretty good. We were worried. Um, guy who you mentioned earlier. He's a very prepared man. He had a shovel <laughs> ready to get out, but we didn't actually need it. It was just there was sort of maybe four four to six inches of pretty light, fluffy, unconsolidated snow, so we could sort of just kick spaces clear for our tents, set up sort of clustered closely together for not for warmth really, but just yeah. comfort. Yeah. We'd seen a wolf earlier. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, it was pretty good. We just set up nearby and then – got boiling water and hovering around chatting and trying to keep warm and pretending we had a fire (laughs) like could you have had a campfire if you wanted we could have had a campfire yeah but it was a case of whether it'd be so much effort to get it ready and get a fire actually going we decided you know what it'll be easy to just hop into our tents (laughs) yeah yeah so everyone had their own sort of one person tent um i paired up but yeah the guys the four, four people had solo tents and then there was two of us together and in, in a sort of a nice cozy mountaineering tent that was actually like brilliantly warm by the end of the morning. It was minus 22 degrees outside and I was so snug and warm. I was like, I need to take off some layers perhaps. It was, it was gorgeous. <laughs> so for, for those that have never uh, winter ca- camped or, you know, uh, done it with a, a fat bike nonetheless, what yeah. are some kind of like key tips that come to mind as far as gear or just being prepared? Um, I think it helps to have 
double mats underneath you. Like I had a basic therma rest and then plus just an extra foam mat, like a little reflective layer in there. Some of the guys just had like reflective blankets under there. That's helpful. Um, I just had a really heavy winter sleeping bag. Some people went with like doubled lighter sleeping bags. That works too. And then I was just essentially wearing a whole bunch of layers, having a warm hat. It's nice to have hand warmers in your bag as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that helps too. And then anything that you don't want to freeze, put inside your tent. Anything that you really don't want to freeze, put inside your sleeping bag. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. So let's put this in perspective a little bit. Like I, I, I know you, I got the flavor of, you know, your adventures, but like, yeah. What like what's some of your if you were to kind of give the elevator pitch like what are some of your big adventures and what gives you the the, the experience to do this sort of thing? Um, I guess I mean for me I've winter camped a bunch when I first started learning to ski in Australia I was a poor university student who just bought a pair of fifty dollar skis with leather boots and would just go out with a backpack and camp in the snow because I couldn't afford to buy a lift ticket. And so, sorry, in Australia? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's snow there. It just stays up in the mountains and out of the towns. Okay. <laughs> but, like, uh, we would just go out in all kinds of conditions, and, like, learning to camp in Australian snow conditions was interesting. Like, we went out, and because you'd go out of the city and you've spent all this time driving, and then it starts raining. And you're like, we'll just go no matter what. It'll be fine. And so I've had trips where it was raining on us. We were trekking through the snow, crossing sort of flooding snowmelt rivers, shimmying across logs across these rivers, and then setting up our tents in the rain, on the snow. It's just sort of brutally, horribly cold. In comparison, like dealing with the conditions here, it's so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) And then combined with like I've done like a six-month-long cycle tour as well, so it just gives you the experience of like carrying all of your gear, like eating, sleeping, living in a tent is just become second nature and it's much more comfortable than being indoors in some ways. <laughs> hmm. So where, so you've got a family now. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to sound sexist, but I, I'm curious, like how do you balance family work and <laughs> adventures? Cause you, you have to yep. schedule time if you're going to do all these things that you're doing. Like oh, have yeah. you found any, particular strategies or uh with your family i mean it's tricky it's a thing but it's like we find it helps for each person needs to have time to go out and do their own thing have their own adventures have time together as a family have time to get out and do your own thing and clear your head and then schedule that all of that somehow around work it's it's kind of insane at times but it's one of the things it's much easier when you're living in the mountains to begin with because you're not factoring in travel time like my walk to work takes a few minutes I can get out and do a lot of my small scale adventures over my lunch break I can go out on sub 12 hour overnighters like put the kid to bed escape overnight camp somewhere and then be back Oh yeah, we had a good laugh about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't see where you posted that, but Sarah's Sarah saying she's like, "Did you see? You know, her post is something about she went on this overnighter, came back in time to make her kids like pancakes or something." <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun because it's like fun to get away and like have that little mini adventure, but still like be there to be able to do the family things. It's it's just finding a way to cram in these little bits of adventure in your life to sort of make life interesting and then take your kid out on adventures that work for him or her or yeah. yeah. It's much easier with one kid than when you have a like two, three or even four. I know I noticed a lot of the bike packing guys seem to have four kids and that's <laughs> that that's hard work getting out a family that size, but still doable. <laughs> and uh, your husband Alex, you know, where is his interest in all of this? Um, he's definitely a super keen bike packer as well. Like he's always been up for adventure and that sort of thing and he sort of yeah, likes to get out and do his own adventures as well. So yeah. Finding balance as a family. <laughs> so the, the the segue here is is uh, kind of top of mind for those of us that don't have uh, kids right now, and it's something Sarah and I always talk about, and uh, you know, honestly, kind of struggle with is um, you know the idea of how having kids affects you know an adventurous life, an adventurous pursuits, and I got to be honest, like I don't see 
there being a scenario where having a kid doing the things that I do doesn't drastically change things. I'm not, yeah. you know, like, <clears throat> you know, the last couple, I've been writing back to book, back books and I'll be writing for four hours a day. You can't do that as a parent. Like I don't, you, unless you create more <laughs> hours in the day, I don't, I don't know how that works. Right. Um, so you, like you seem to have figured it out though. And it's kind of, <laughs> I think it's kind of envious. So I'm, yeah. you know, I mentioned your Instagram as being kind of this, <laughs> you know, envious for the, the visuals. But when you look at the pictures and you look into it, it's like, yeah. no, this is like someone that's like the real true blue, like I've got it figured out and I'm, I'm living the life I want to live. Yeah. So yeah, going back to, to the balance. So when you, so you, you have one child, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, was there, was there discussion before you became a mom, like how things would change or how you would manage that to, you know, what it's become now? Um, not really. <laughs> I mean, not in any informed sense. It was just a case of we'll figure it out as we go along and see what works for us, which I think a lot of people do. Like you, you can talk about it all you want beforehand, but until it happens, it's hard to know what will and won't work for you. And there's always compromise. I mean, for me, I used to enjoy rock climbing a lot. I'd get out ski touring a lot more. And those are things that I find are much harder with a kid um, ski touring, like it tends to be, it's a big day commitment. It's hard to do, but like getting out for a quicker bike ride, getting out cross country skiing is way easier. And so we do more of those kinds of things. And it's also, I mean, to pack in the adventures we do, it's a case of kind of sitting down going, okay, this is the stuff that'd be cool to get done this season. And then trying to figure it out what you can fit in where booking hut trips ahead of time, sort of yeah scheduling some stuff out and then having a a to-do list that you can hit up when you get open weekends (laughs) (laughs) cool so you know this is a bike packing podcast so let me ask maybe one of the more obvious questions what do you love about bike packing (laughs) i mean for one i love riding my bike two getting out away from the world exploring new trails going new places being out in the mountains on trails sleeping in tents is fantastic and bikepacking is like traveling light enough that you can actually tackle more interesting routes and get away from cars just ties it all together to just to be absolutely fantastic yeah i think i i asked selfishly because i I feel like I've been doing a terrible job of talking about it in my bike packing one-on-one talks. I, yeah. So, you know, last, last, uh, or a couple of weekends ago was Edmonton bike show. And, you know, one of the questions you get kind of this bewildered look at some point, like, why would I want to do this? Cause <laughs> the way I describe it is it's kind of getting back to this primal sense. Uh, like, like the, the easiest way I can explain it is like, this is, my genuine self when I'm having to rely on myself for shelter and food and getting from A to B. And I haven't personally found that anywhere else. That's what I like about it. But yeah, I mean, you're totally getting back to the basics. It's just sort of you and the world and your bike. Yeah. And I was to to bring it back to the family thing. Um, like I'd bike to it a bit. And the reason we kind of got into bike packing was because we're like, well, we don't want to go on the road with a kid. (laughs) scary like it's okay to take that risk for yourself it feels like but it was always a bit more worrying to take a kid on the road and so like a like road tour like like road touring touring. yeah road bicycle touring and so that's why bike packing it's like well you're away from roads a lot more so yeah so um well speaking of getting away from the road i was just thinking of like dangers of the road but uh, when when it comes to talking of dangers of like the tour divide so we'll get into (laughs) we'll get into that because i know that's (laughs) one of your goals um, you know, I, I quite often tell people I'm not scared about the bears. I'm not scared of, uh, you know, the other animals. It's, it's, if I had to put my energy into thinking of like any one concern, it would be the people. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily the people on the highways cause there isn't a, a ton of like asphalt, uh, you cover, but it's, you know, people you encounter in the back country. They're the guys in their trucks that are a little, you know, sometimes they're yeah. screw loose <laughs> or, you know, there's a gun out the window and they're hunting and, um, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that concerns me, but, you know, I'm sure you know about these things and, and I've, yeah. it looks like you, you want to take on the, the divide <laughs> this year's from what, from what I gather. 
Um, yeah, no, that's my plan. And yeah, I've definitely had run-ins with guys on gravel roads who think it's pretty funny to like take their truck as close to you as you can. Yeah. And that's way scarier than bears. But yeah, yeah still, I, I definitely, I want to, that's the plan for this year is to try and do the tour divide. I've been watching it and after like, I mean, ever since I first came to town, I think 2008 or 2009 was the first time I heard about it. It was like this rumor. Everyone's like, they're these crazy people who ride their bikes and they start in Banff and they ride their bikes to Mexico. They're insane. I'm like, that sounds really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so ever since then, I've been kind of watching the race, like turning up to the start sometimes, getting more and more info about it. I'm like, yeah, no, I really want to do it. So there's been years of kind of eyeing it off. And now I'm like, yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) So you're going to do the tour divide this year and then you got to say damn it because I, I, I that's what i saw on your instagram it's like so there was a year where you didn't do it i think so this yeah. is your, this is the year you're gonna do it damn it yeah damn it i'm doing it this year oh because i was kind of ready in 2015 and i just done headed out did the salty dog bike race which a lot of folks in canmore are familiar with for sure it's a little six hour enduro out in Saminam, bc and it's a way a lot of Canmore people kick off their mountain bike season because the trails there are beautiful and dry at a time they're often pretty, well, still snowy here or maybe the snow's just cleared. So I just raced that, got back to Canmore. Two days later, I was walking downstairs and slipped and twisted my knee. Oh, no. <laughs> and, yeah, it was game over. I was limping around. I just wasn't able to ride a bike much at all that summer I started to get into it slowly but I certainly wasn't in shape to do a tour divide so I had my bike my gear everything sorted and then yeah slipped walking downstairs (laughs) so this brings up an interesting question I didn't think of but how has your your kit or your preparation changed from that year to this year um A fair bit because the extra year off I decided I still wasn't, I was still on the recovery trail. Knees are tricky. Um, They can take a while to rehab. So I decided not to go for 2016. I was still just working on getting strength back. And so instead in 2016, I did the Kootenai Gravel Grinder, which was super fun. And then a couple of weeks after that, the inaugural Hurton Alberton race, also really fun. Recommend both of them. Um, But that let me do a lot more dialing of my kit than I would have had the chance to do for 2015. So I think all in all, it'll lead to a better tour divide run. And definitely I've got a lot more ideas about what will and won't work for me now after doing those two rides. Hmm. And have your has your goal or your strategy changed for <laughs> my my goals definitely changed because last year um Jackie Bernardi who won the females tour divide finished in 19 days in a bit she is an old friend from Melbourne we used to climb together we hung out a lot um so the goal is to beat her now so the goal is if she can do it that fast damn it so can i yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, I, I, I want to try and go sub 20 days now. And after I, I, it should be possible. He's hoping to not too many injuries or illnesses between now and then, but yeah, that's, that'll be my aim now. Well, <laughs> my time was, uh, 19 days and change. In which uh, case I'll try and beat yours too. Last, well, no, no, no you, you beat me at the point because what I was yeah. going to say is if you go 19, my, yeah. my goal next year is to beat your time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it'll just escalate from there. <laughs> yeah, no. Whilst going back to the subject on knees being funny, I, yeah. I so I buggered up my knee on the the divide. Yeah. Um, I think I just pushed way too hard the first couple of days, and yeah. So we're now, um, oh, jeez, we're over coming up on two years really since that, and like still like when I bend down. Uh, my knee still makes a crunchy noise and I'm told as long as it's not a painful crunchy noise it's okay but uh, (laughs) disconcerting yeah yeah just how like something little like that can can totally uh, derail you um and so as as far as to make 19 days happen you know do you do you have a sense of like how you know what your day has to look like to make that kind of time Um, for me, like from my past experience, I'm not as fast as some of the guys, but I do well in terms of fast transitions and not stopping too often. So it's a case of rocking up 
to a town and knowing exactly what I need to get and from where ideally not going far off route and just sort of being bam getting what I need and then getting out of there again and then when I'm on the road too like (laughs) instead of stopping when I think of something it's the making the mental list and going okay you can't stop until this time unless it's an urgent stop just sort of gathering things up and just getting a whole bunch of things done at once (laughs) <laughs> I'd, I'd love to know where this mentality comes from. So in, in 2012, I got beat pretty bad by uh, Esther. I can't remember her last name or how, or how to say it. Esther uh, beat me pretty bad. And then uh, in 2015, uh, you know, infamous Lael Wilcox um, oh, yeah. <laughs> caught up to me around Silverthorne and slowly rode away from me. And this is when I was limping with my knee. But, you know, in both cases, like it was very apparent. It was not about speed. It was slow, steady, yeah. and you, they, I don't know if it's women, like the female riders in general, but like these two in particular yeah. just would not take the stops that all the other guys like zipping ahead would do. Like they're not stopping for the long meals. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just riding longer hours and uh, just slowly pull ahead. It's demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> when you're sitting in a ditch and she just slowly rides by and you never see her again. So. By, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a case of working to your strengths. Like if you can't punch out a more powerful ride, then what can you do to save extra time and get ahead? Yeah. Riding smarter, not harder. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us about, I've seen some pictures of what I think is your rig, but tell us about your, the rig that you're, you're going to use. Um, so I've got a custom built titanium frame 29er that I got from Russia by, by built by these guys, Triton. It's Dimitri's the main guy there, but yeah, it's a, they're, they're, they're a fantastically entertaining bunch to work with. I, uh, they, they sent me photos of my bike as it was being in the process of being built. And in the factory, there's a portrait of Lenin up above my bike. I'm like, ah, oh, this is legitimately Russian. This is great. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic bike. And then I recently just got one of the super fancy Lauf forks, which I'm really enjoying so far. Okay, so I had written down to ask about that. So I've never used one of those before. So explain to the listeners what that fork is all about, because it's quite a bit different than what most of us have seen. It is, yeah. And I, I first saw them at the Bike Pack Summit in October last year here. Um, Josh had one. I Josh think. had one. Yeah. I think someone else had one too. But it was a chance to play with it, chat to them, see how it was working for them, and go, you know what, this sounds fantastic. But it's sort of, I'm not the best at gear geek talk but it's essentially it's a carbon fork which gives you a sort of a few inches of suspension but zero maintenance sort of with the basis of like yeah two carbon pieces and then carbon leaves joining them that allow sort of for some suspension and it stiffens quite quickly but like people looking at it assume it would bounce around it doesn't it just seems to smooth things out nicely it's perfect for the kind of gravel riding that tour divide provides huh. so is is that something you just go into your average bike shop and say hey can you order me this fork like i imagine they wouldn't even know what you're talking about <laughs> in town here they probably do but yeah i think other bike shops might know about it you can get it there's a canadian distributor you can deal from directly they're out over on the east coast and they'll get them in for you and yeah Who, who's that um it's they're a fat bike store i can't remember what the name of the store is but yeah if you look up i think it's okay yeah if you can google the just the lauf okay in canada you could it'll come up okay well i'm gonna get away from i i want to talk some tech stuff because i knew the fork was a something different <laughs> you were using but um so i want to chat about touring a little bit more with the family because um so at, at the edmonton bike show uh, a couple of weeks ago, a gentleman came up, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, but he said he, he listened to the podcast on a regular basis, yeah. and uh, he said, it's great, but I'd love to hear more on uh, the touring end of things. So, um, you know, th- that's one of the great things about your Instagram is all the things with the family and uh, getting out there and living the life. Um, so for the for the touring folk out there, what are what are some of your favorite places to, to go in the Bow Valley and area? Ooh, Beauval. I mean, one of our standards, like it's easy from Canmore or Banff, is just going into Lake Minnewonka. Because you can go, if you want, you can just be a little eight kilometres in, eight kilometres back, which is easy for smaller kids. 
not chariot friendly for the two wheeled one, but it's really fun. Um, you can go up to Cascade. Along Cascade Fire Road is another nearby one. Um, Jumping Pound Cox is ridiculous, but doable. <laughs> <laughs> it's glorious out there. But and then so is this just like one long hike up with the the bike and essentially if you can kick the chariot like because we have a single wheel trailer yeah. and if you can kick. If he's pedaling on the the trailer bike, you could get up there. Or if he's refusing to pedal, you just kick him off. He runs. We ride our bikes. Everyone's happy. <laughs> and we all get up to the top that way. So that's doable. But, yeah, down in Kananaskis, to head down to Kananaskis Lakes or over to Elk Lakes, over Elk Pass is beautiful as well. There are, yeah, we've got a lot of really fantastic destinations around here. Or you could go into the Ghost as well. That's glorious too. <laughs> So how how does I know it's drastically different, but how does the the traveling rig with the family compare to like the racing rig you have? Like, what, <laughs> what are different? What are I guess what are some yep. of the different considerations you take as far as you know, uh, food or uh, cooking and uh, gear and tools? Um, there's definitely I mean tools is essentially pretty similar. The tools kit is the same no matter what. There's a lot more, like, the kid has to be comfortable and well-fed, so that's the priority, and ideally entertained as well in some way. So sometimes it's a case of just throwing in a deck of cards or something like that. And in general, we'll, we've got a bit more for comfort as well if we're touring as a family. We're travelling with a stove. There's a bit more comfort food. It's not just existing on bars or whatever you're finding anywhere. It's being able to sit down and provide warm food or, like, hot chocolate, that kind of thing. And the the um, trailer that you were talking about, is is there such thing as, like, mountain bike-specific trailers? Because I imagine it has to be able to tilt side to side and have shocks on it yeah or we've had um both when we were towing him and he couldn't pedal and then since he's been able to pedal we've gotten imported it's a german made trailer used to be able to get them from peter white cycles i think there is an american distributor again i'm not sure but it's depending how you pronounce it tuturan or tout terrain (laughs) the German company but they make a single wheel trailer that you can tow kids with it has suspension and they make a trailer bike that also has suspension which we've found is fantastic for getting off road on single track because the traditional trailer bikes zero suspension bump the kids around a lot and anything vaguely rocky or rough he started to complain a lot and we realized it just wouldn't work for us to get out and do longer days because he wasn't happy but with that plush trailer bike with suspension We've done some epic long 50-kilometre-plus days of single track, and he's been totally fine, comfortable, and happy. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying that. It's like what, what, when you're with the, with the kid, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what time does your day start and what time does your day finish? I imagine it's quite a bit different. Um, it's definitely a bit more lazy. Like <laughs> there's no rush, rush getting up super early because, you know, he's going to need time off the bike no matter what. We don't want to try and pack too much in. Um, when we were touring in Scotland, which was the last longer trip we did, we were there for about 10 days. Um, we were sort of often st- getting started hitting the road about nine o'clock in the morning and then finishing usually by five. Oh, that's good. So that's, yeah, it's <laughs> super respectable and easy. That got pushed longer on a couple of days when we just had to make it from point to point. Yeah, it's not like the half-day preschool experience. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty solid day for most people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is pretty decent. Like, some days were shorter. There was a couple of days that went long, and, like, one of those long days, too, like, we got to camp, finally started cooking dinner. It was nearly ready. Then the spaghetti got spilt all over the ground. It was a disaster. <laughs> so yeah. oh, and totally unplanned question but so I, i'm super curious so this is like the outsider looking in at parents and parenting in general so you're at the campsite you know you're trying to keep son fed and, and happy when does the ipad break out because <laughs> i'm like such a cynic on technology right now like i, I embrace it because i feel like i have to but when i see kids with like cell phones and that i'm just I'm... so you're an outdoorsy parent yeah where does where do these things fit into your 
Well, it, it's, it's kind of trying to – we do some trips without it entirely, which I prefer, but sometimes just in, for the sake of our own sanity, it's nice to be able to have that so we can both, like, have a break, do the setting up camp, getting dinner done, and letting him just play on that – and we can have some mental space to just, especially after a long day, is having the mental space to just go, ah. <laughs> but yeah, we've we've done trips both with and without, and we try to like minimize the amount of time he's like using that kind of tech. But it can come in handy; <laughs> it really can. <laughs> well, if 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 you you and Alex do it, it it's it's got to be all right then. <laughs> I, I really struggled with that one. I'm like, outdoorsy parents probably don't do this, but <laughs> if they do, then it's okay. So I got a question today. Uh, so still on the tour in front uh, from Tim Bulger in Edmonton. Yeah. He was asking me, but now I'm curious, so I'll ask you. Um, uh, when when you're on your, your trips, how do, how do you make your coffee? Do you, do you carry instant coffee? Do you grind it? What's your, how do you, how do you do it? Um, we tend not to carry anything. Like when we've been on trips, we tend to like overnighters will do instant or we'll even just switch to tea because we're weirdo tea drinkers sometimes. <laughs> or then if we're hitting up towns, like in Scotland, for sure, we were drinking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime we're traveling around in Australia, definitely getting coffee. there. Or like New Zealand would be the same. Definitely stopping to get someone to make us coffee. Huh. My, my parents were just in Australia. They were saying it was really expensive. For coffee. I think it was Australia. Yeah. Does that sound right? Could be, yeah. Also delicious, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so last few questions here. Uh, this one is is totally uh, random here. But um, Greg Van Tegum and Jasper, um, like a couple of days ago or last week, I think it was, sent me an updated plan on this. And this is relevant because your park's oh, trail. Oh, the Jasper Trail. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I want to ask because you're, you're, you're right in front of me. But so there, there's a proposed trail, and I don't know what stage it's at. Maybe you know, you probably know better than me. From from right now, from Jasper to the Columbia Ice Field. That's so it's an off-road pass so off the highway um, and paved, which kind of blows my mind. I, and yeah. again, I don't know a lot about these things. I know enough to know that would cost a lot of money just to maintain it. So what is, what is your take? Like to me, Sarah and I were talking about this. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like you, the highway is busy in the summer. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. But the shoulder's pretty, you know, it's, it's decent in my mind. I just, I can't understand like how this, something like this is going through when you have Jasper and Banff national park and, and like a quarter, as far as I can tell where they seem to be like decommissioning, you know, warden cabins and like this sort of thing. And now they're proposing building like this, this big kind of yeah. tourism thing, right? Well, I mean, I'll preface it by saying I haven't done enough reading on that, enough reading on it to uh, as much reading as I should. But I'm thinking like looking at the legacy trail between Banff and Canmore, how insanely busy that is every summer because shoulders are okay. Like I would happily ride on the shoulder, but if you've got a family... Like, and a lot of people just aren't comfortable on the shoulders of highways, especially on a road where so many people are tourists and sort of busy staring at the mountains, to be honest. Uh, so, yeah, the idea of having that tr- paved trail, its I can see it being a massive drawcard for the kind of tourists who wouldn't want to be on a highway but would love to get that experience of, like, I mean, it's a beautiful stretch of terrain between Jasper and Banff. It's amazing. And also the number of cyclists, because I'm on the warmshowers.com website, so I've sort of generally in summers you often end up hosting. It's just free hosting for people who are cycle touring and headed through the area, so you just have random cycle tourists coming and staying at your house. And there are so many that come to this area just to sort of ride that section of road, some of them that are coming down from Alaska to head to Argentina, Oh yeah, just do a loop around in the mountains, and yeah, I can just imagine how crazy popular that will be. (laughs) So okay, so this is a perfect example of why it's good to have multiple opinions. So me, the the guy that has no kids, yeah, my my dad often refers to uh, me and my better half as the Danks, the double income, no kids. You know, we, we'd never think of this. I just think of this as, like, this totally unnecessary expenditure. I'm like, you have a road, it's perfectly fine. And, you know, why don't you... Like, I've never yeah. had an issue on a road, like, several times last year and, you know, once in the winter. 
Um, but yeah, okay. So I didn't, I didn't look at it from the family perspective. And yeah, if you've got a family, you want to tow a chariot on there, like, yeah. and the number of little kids, kids. I mean, I don't know what they'll have in the way of how big a day it would be for if you want to actually tour with kids. But if they have accommodation, camping possibilities, if off-road cycle tour, it'd be great for families. Hmm. So from um, you, you were saying you're, you weren't, you know, totally read up on it, but. You know, being in the the work that you're in, what kind of challenges do you see a path like that facing in the next little while? Like, what kind of barriers do they have to overcome to make something like that happen? I mean, I'm not sure where they are in the approval process, so it's sort of hard to say. But I know there are some ecological concerns about the pressure that would put on wildlife using that corridor. So that'll be a good one for chatting with the wider Y folks about for sure. Good. Uh, cool. Well, we've, we're coming up on an hour here. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we announced it last week that, um, uh, going to have you back at the summit. Hopefully if, if you're around. Yeah. I so <laughs> if, if we, if we covered tight packing, I can't remember what we call it. Tight packing. Tight packing. Yeah. yeah. So if we, if we talked about that last or last year, what do you think would be any topics that are top of mind for you this year that you want to talk about well, the- well it was international women's day yesterday <laughs> so we can always go there and talk about yeah women biking yeah because and I, like I, I was just thinking the percentage of women participating in tour divide some year it's a pretty competitive field some year it's really small yeah. like the number of women touring racing getting out on bikes in general it's kind of a slightly different world yeah. women in some ways well yeah i thought the the low-hanging fruit would be to to talk about how you beat my how you're going to beat my tour divide time oh yeah i mean uh, if i've beaten your tour divide time that is the talk of this yeah <laughs> but i i think at some point i'm going to have a mutiny on my hands if i keep talking about tour divide so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll tentatively pencil in the talk on um women uh bike packing and uh whatever you want to talk about there yeah racing or different considerations yeah Cool. Well, uh, again, if, if people want to follow you, where's the, where's the best place to follow you these days? Um, Instagram's good. I'm at Evil Moose Megan. Okay. <laughs> Tyson and I were just chatting about this before. <laughs> we're like, have we been screwing up our name? <laughs> Megan. Um, I've been saying Megan. Um, I In Australia, I grew up saying Megan. I've got into the habit of saying Megan over in Canada just because my accent confuses people. Yeah. It, it makes it easy for people to spell your name. You say Megan, it's M-E-G-A-N. People usually get the hang of it. You say Megan, you, you get a you get confused look sometimes. So <laughs> now I just confuse everyone because I say it myself so many different ways. Ultimately, it does not matter. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, for, for someone that gets his name screwed up a lot, everyone calls me Corey and they usually spell it wrong um we'll we'll say that we started this podcast with Megan Dunn and we'll finished it with Megan Dunn how about that <laughs> just to clear everything up for everyone it's, yeah. it's sure to reduce confusion cool well uh, I know you gotta get back to the family and I appreciate you taking the time after work to do the podcast I uh, yeah uh, no thanks for having me it's fun chatting yeah we'll look forward to following uh, the divine progress here yeah hopefully my pink dot will be out there racing yeah I'm looking cool. forward to it all right Thanks, Megan. <laughs> Bye.